Come on, all hail King Jesus. Amen, everybody. Man, what a great song. We praise God for that. What a great worship leader. And our team is just always doing such a great job. Hey, welcome to LifePoint. My name is Mike Burnett, and Stephanie and I love to serve as pastors of the church here along with our team. Such a privilege to serve. And I want to say welcome, especially if you're new, you're a first-time guest with us, whether you joined, uh, you're in town with family. We've had a lot of family members joining in from, that, are, that are traveling in from out of town. Or if this is your first time joining us online at any of our video locations, how many of you thankful we got church going on in other places, Austin Peay State University campus, our online campus, and our East Valley Dream Center in Chandler, Arizona. Man, they are crushing it in Arizona. We've got a great team out there, and, and they're wanting to do more. They're wanting to grow into like a full-on church experience. And so, uh, man, it started as, hey, can we show your sermons? And then it's turned into like, they want me to fly out there once a month, you know what I'm saying? And I got to be honest, like, Phoenix in the winter ain't bad, you know what I'm saying? So I, I got to do it for the Lord. got to do it for the Lord. Anyway, um, they're, they're asking, honestly, for like a full-on campus pastor and kid point team and small groups. They, they're just growing. And the, the folks at, at East Valley Dream Center in Chandler, man, you guys are crushing it. So proud of you guys and thankful that we get to do church life together. Amen. Well, welcome to our church. If this is your first time here, we want to say welcome. And please connect with us through that text. You can text LPC to 31996 or a connection card in the seat back in front of you if you're in the room. Also, I want to thank you for your generosity. And a little update from last week, uh, we've been through a lot the last eight days, right? And so um, last Sunday, we, we, I stood up here and I just, we just agreed as a church, we we're going to give the entire contribution of that morning's tithes and offerings away to our friends and family members and those close to us that were devastated by the tornadoes in western and eastern, western Kentucky and western Tennessee. And so I just want to tell you that... Uh, based on your decision to do that as well and your affirmation of that, you gave the uh, largest offering ever given at our church ever. So I want to say thank you for that. And we are giving it all away. So um, in fact, we, I got to just, I could tell you a ton of stories. Over 150 of you went out and served this week, which by the way, let me tell you something, the news crews will leave and devastation will stay. And so there's more to do. Please tell your boss you need a, a, a personal day to go serve families. I bet they don't even count it against you in the HR policy. And if they do, you know what I'm saying? Pray for them. You know what I mean? <laughs> Take your family this week, man. There is so much to do and we've got serve opportunities. Just call any pastor in any of those cities and say, is there anything that we can do for you guys, my family? Uh, last week, I told you about a story about a family who just drove to Kentucky and found some family whose houses have been destroyed. It was an Amish family. And they just showed up and said, hey, we'll serve all day, sun up to sundown. They just served all day. Well, all week long, 160 of you or so have helped. We've cleared out 30 or 40 homes. We've helped make a way. And in the uh, middle of the week, Thursday, I got a call from a pastor. You know, as the cold weather's coming in, he said, we've got uh, 30, 60 families, 60 families who don't have power and need a generator. And he said, I know we raised all this money together. He, he's pastoring up there and he's just doing work, just grinding every day. And he said, can LifePoint come through and help us out with these generators? And he said, I got the president, the CEO of Menards on one line with me, and he's calling me. Or that guy said that. And then he's got me on the other line going, can you pay for them? I said, we'll pay for it as many times as you need us to, man. We got it. So immediate payout, we were able to buy all of those generators to provide power for 60 families. Thank you for your giving. And that's just a small way that your giving made a difference. Listen, as families have needs, we're going to be helping families put their lives together. Listen, your giving is making a difference. And, and we always want to be a church. Obviously, we want to pay our bills and take care of the, the, the family of God. But how many of you know, we don't exist for us. We exist to be a blessing to the world. And when days are hard and heavy, the church should shine brighter than ever. So we've given thousands of dollars to families and organizations who are helping put lives back together. And we're not going to stop until we've spent every dollar, given every dollar away, and helped every family that we can. Hey, Besides that, I wanted to tell you uh, where your giving has also been a blessing this week at Christmas. 
Um, for all of us, it's been a hard couple of years, and uh, I'm, I'm just a little privy to this group of people, but pastors, I love pastors, and one thing uh, God has allowed us to do as a church is to help a lot of pastors in coaching and training. We bring them in a couple times a year, and we teach them everything we have and give it all away. And then this last week, your giving enabled us to bless about 115 pastors with a Christmas gift from you just to say, we see you, we love you, we thank God for you, we validate, wrote a handwritten note to every single one of them and just said, man, we thank God for your part of the kingdom. And I especially love, we selected a bunch of dozens of pastors of small churches that maybe never get any attention or not on anybody's radar. I'm talking the bivocational pastor, the guy that's working two jobs just to be able to preach on a Sunday. And we send a card with money in the card and a gift for them. And we just want to say on your behalf that we see you, we love what God's doing, and we pray and we're praying for you. So Merry Christmas to those pastors. And thank you for making that happen through your generosity. So praise God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The Bible is full of passages encouraging generosity. And the Apostle Paul teaches that we should honor those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so your giving actually helped us do that for about 120 pastors this last week. And I just want to say thank you. And, and let me just tell you, when, you know, when Stephanie and I moved here, I was 30. She was in her 20s. That's good. I don't, I'm always careful how I give away her age, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, uh, and, and I remember when we started at this church, like nobody would take our calls. Nobody cared about us at all. We were out in this church in a field on the east side of town, and nobody, and it was just so refreshing to have some attention. I mean, the, the most attention consistently I got was from the mailman. You know what I'm saying? Like, every day he came by to see me. How you doing, young man? You, do, you, you alive in there? <laughs> Those are some lonely days. Remember, Dave? And so I just know the touch that that card meant to some of these pastors, and I've gotten so many calls and thank yous to you guys for your generosity. The scripture says to honor those who labor in preaching and teaching, and so you have been able to do that through your giving this week and make Christmas a little brighter for a number of church families as well. Hey, can you believe it's Christmas? I've told you for months. I think I said in January, I said we are 51 weeks away from Christmas. So here we are, it's the week of Christmas. How many of you, this is your favorite time of year? Anybody else besides me? Come on, I love Christmas. I love it for so many reasons. I love the downtime with family. I love sleeping in and not brushing my teeth till later in the day. You know what I'm talking about? That vibe. And <laughs> maybe that's too far. Anyway, I just, I love that feeling of I have no pressure. I have no alarm to set. I have no reason to get up except kids jumping in my bed going, get up. It's time to open presents. I love the Christmas story. We love giving and receiving gifts. We're at the age now where it's fun to just sit back and watch your kids just destroy your living room. Come on, right? How many of you into Christmas for the desserts? Anybody? Come on, just join your pastor. How many of you apple pie people? Anybody down? Not apple crumb, not apple cobbler. I'm talking apple pie, old school apple pie. That's what I'm talking about. You know, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one person comes to the Lord. And I think heaven also rejoices when somebody mixes peanut butter and chocolate into a new conglomerate. Favor of the Lord is on your house. If you are building something out of peanut butter and chocolate, the heavens are opened up on that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Streets of gold, heaven are paved in gold and peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> love the Christmas music. It's my favorite holiday, if you can't tell. I'm a big fan. I love Christmas movies like Die Hard. I love Christmas. <laughs> the TBS version. You got to keep it clean. I'm a Christian. But I love Christmas and I also love Advent. And it's something that we have done here as long as I've been pastor. We celebrate actually the themes of Advent and the season of Advent. If you're not familiar, if you haven't come from a church that celebrates Advent, actually Christmas starts on Christmas Eve and goes for 12 days, actually the Christmas season. But Advent is the season of waiting. It's the time in preparation 
for the coming of Messiah. In fact, the four weeks prior to Christmas, uh, the birth, you know, the day of Christmas is the season of Advent. And in that season, we celebrate four themes. And it's, it's really a recollection. It's, it's remembering what preceded the coming of Christ, that the world was waiting on a Messiah. Even those that didn't know God, those that didn't come from a, 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 a biblical tradition or a godly tradition, the world was still in need of a Messiah because the world was fallen and fallen into sin. And with the coming of Messiah, it's the coming of the presence of God. It's the coming of, of God's offer of hope to the world. That we can have an anchor in something other than the circumstances we're facing. With the coming of Messiah would be the coming of peace. Not only peace with God, but peace with other people. With the coming of Messiah comes the coming of joy, the presence of joy, that we can actually enjoy this life and enjoy this world even when it's incredibly painful. And the Messiah coming is the presence of God's real love coming into the world. So Advent is the season before Christmas where we, we settle our hearts for four weeks to just remember like... The coming of Jesus had more to do than just a baby showing up. But with the coming of Christ, the coming of Messiah comes hope for the world and joy to the world and peace and actual love. It's the only way to really love God and to love people is to know Jesus. Can I hear an amen? So Advent season celebrates these four focus points, but today I want to focus specifically on hope. And I think if there's a message that our world needs today, it's hope, man. Anybody feel like we're kind of in hopeless times? This last week, my wife and I went up to Mayfield, Kentucky, and, and we've sent teams every day. And again, I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're local and you're available, uh, to go and, and just go serve, put some gloves on, and get out there and cut some trees down and, and just be the hope of God to somebody, help build their lives back. But we got to go up to uh, Mayfield on Monday and walk, just got to a church where they're doing all this distribution and and we didn't just stand around for photo ops. We got in the line and we started giving stuff out as, as we could. And I'll just never forget this one young mom who had two kids in her back seat. Uh, a one, they were in diaper size five and one. I know that because I, I got to fill her order. And there's just the glazed over look on her face of despair. She lost everything and this hopeless look on her face. And the reality is I, I came away and I was talking to a pastor friend of mine about that. And I was like, man, I've not seen that look a lot. And many of you have in war-torn environments, and many of us have seen it, but the reality is people without Jesus actually have that look all the time. If you don't know the Lord, like you may have circumstances in the natural going well for you, but if you don't know God, there is no eternal hope. There's no eternal perspective for you. In fact, we believe what the Bible says, the only way to God is through the person of Jesus Christ, through our confidence in him and putting our faith and trust and our hope in him. And our world lives with hopelessness all the time. I have a pastor friend that I called last week to get his address to send him a, a gift. And, and he said, man, I, I could use a gift right now because 2021 has been a really long decade. <laughs> See, the joke was it's only one year, but he said it's a decade. Anyway, you guys got that a little better than the other service. So I appreciate that. And we've all dealt with that. I mean, we, we're living in challenging times. Some people have said we are living in unprecedented times. I disagree with that. There's been a precedent since Genesis 3 of pain. There's been a precedent of struggle and turmoil and strife for all of created history since the fall of mankind. Somebody asked, like, what, what is repaired with the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of Christ? Everything that was destroyed because of sin is what God offers to repair. He brings hope back into the world. He brings joy to the world. He brings love to loveless people, and he brings peace back to us and peace with God. We live in a world right now, though, that has some very interesting challenges, and we've talked about them over the months, and I don't need to 
belabor the point with you, but while our challenges are pressing and immediate and we feel them every day and we read about them and hear about them and think about them every day, living with challenging times isn't new or unique to the human experience. It's actually always been the case. Among other tragedies, we can name a host of them. People have lived through pandemics, through floods, the Dust Bowl period of the 30s, the, the, the total great world economic collapse of the Great Depression in the 20s, global conflicts we've now named the world wars. But Christmas has a unique way. To me, it's the only holiday that does this. It has a unique way of putting us back to a place of center, bringing us to a place of calm. Even in the midst of chaos, you, like we, we can come away from chaos and celebrate Christmas. Have you ever noticed you could be fighting with your family so hard, but by God, we're going to have that turkey dinner, and we're going to sit together, and we're going to get along, dang it. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> we're going to have this meal, and we're going to honor grandma, and you're going to shut your mouth, and you're going to eat. And then you can fight. You know, anybody else notice that about Christmas? It has a way of calming us down. <laughs> of course, I'm being a little exaggerative here, but, but you get the greater point. It has a way of bringing us back to a place of center, a place of calm. It brings us to a pause in the midst of pain. It reminds us of family, of faith in Jesus. And I think Christmas is the only holiday of the year that recapitulates the story of God's greater narrative of what he's trying to do in the earth. Easter is the center point of our faith, but Christmas is the, is, it's the beginning point of where God says, I'm coming into this thing now. See, the doctrine of incarnation tells us God didn't just send some baby, he sent himself. God didn't just come to visit, he came to stay. And the reason Christmas is so important because God himself humbled himself. He vacated the heavens, scripture says in Colossians. He condescended to our position to become one of us, to become one with us, to walk with us, to feel our pain, to struggle with us. And Christmas is the initiation of that story for us. It was promised for centuries. It was actualized at Christmas. So I think Christmas stands alone as a holiday to bring us peace and calm because there's this presence of God that is celebrated at Christmas. Easter celebrates the purpose of his coming, but Christmas celebrates the initiation of his coming. And with his coming, is hope. For many of us, we think of hope as kind of fleeting, wishful thinking. Like, I hope I get a promotion. I hope she says yes to my proposal. I hope the health scan comes back positive. And, it, and whenever our hope is built on something temporary, like a job or a medical scan or a breakthrough financially or your president getting elected, whenever your hope is anchored in something temporary, it will fail. How many of you know everything in this world comes and goes? but everything in the kingdom of heaven lasts forever. And so biblical hope is when we anchor our confidence and we anchor our hope in a kingdom that's not of this world. Did you know Jesus doesn't get reelected every four years? Hallelujah. <laughs> Did you know that even if we all die of a global pandemic, we live forever in heaven? We have a hope that's not of this world. And so as we look to Christmas, it's the initiation of the presence of God and the coming of hope that comes because the person of Jesus Christ would come into the story. So I, wanna, I want us to talk through the beginning of that story. It's a familiar text, and I've preached it many times here as pastor. But I want us to go back again to Luke chapter 1. Since you brought your Bible, go ahead and open it with me. And at the end of this message, I want us to respond to the Lord in worship again. So I don't want anybody to leave because, you know, I just close the prayer and you get up and go rush out to get your kids. They're fine. Plenty of hot chocolate for them. I want us to respond in worship to the Lord because hope is come in the name and the person of Jesus Christ. Let's read together the birth narrative of Jesus from Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent 
from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, betrothal is a contractual agreement to be married, right? So a betrothal is way more than he got me a ring, he went to Jared's. You know, it's, it's way more than that. There are families involved at this point. There's covenants being established. There's names being shared. There's land being purchased together. I mean, a betrothal is basically waiting on the wedding day, and there's a significant period on purpose. Mary being betrothed to Joseph is significant. Things have transpired. The only way to break off a betrothal is a, is a for real divorce, right? So this is a significant relationship. But an angel appears to a virgin named Mary who's betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying, which I think is funny. She wasn't troubled at a giant angel in her living room. She's troubled at what he said. I don't know about you, but if a 92-foot, blonde-headed, you know, Fabio shows up in my house, I'm going to freak out a little bit. But she was just like, now tell me what you said again. <laughs> anyway, I find the Bible funny sometimes. She was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Because <laughs> he goes, greeting, oh, favored one. She's going, oh, why did you say that? You know, like, every pastor knows what it's like for their words to be picked apart. Anyway, not that you do that. Second service does. Anyway. So the angel says, she's trying to discern this greeting, and the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. Whew, thank you. Okay. For you have found favor, second time he says it, you have found favor with God. And behold, we should all start stories like this. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Uh, other translations say, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Look what he says about this son. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high, not the son of Joseph. You know, she's probably thinking, like, Joseph's a good guy, but he ain't that great. You know what I'm saying? Son of the most high. What are you talking about? He will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, which is Israel, look at this, forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I have so much to say about this text. You know, one of the things I love about this passage is how God upends the civil order of the day. You know, it was a patriarchal society. God would only speak to men, or like, like godly things would only have been spoken to men, through men, by educated men, and yet God chooses an uneducated virgin girl. I just love how God goes, I don't listen to you. I don't, I'm not led by your standards. By the way, we should be that way too. Okay. So Mary says to the angel, honest question, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High. Remember he said your son will be the son of the Most High in verse 32? He says the angel, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, look at this, the son of God. So, so far, he's been called great, the son of the most high. He will reign over Israel, and his kingdom will never end, and he will be called the son of God. I mean, this description is so broad and huge. And behold, he says, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And she's six months pregnant, and she's the one we have called barren. 
for nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Now, I want to think about the implications of this story for a moment. For many of us, it becomes this kind of generic Christmas story that we read before we open presents. But I want to slow walk through this text together as it pertains to hope. Because honestly, that's a pretty crazy scenario. Anybody think that's a crazy scenario? Any 14-year-old girls in the room that would say, that's a crazy scenario? I've got daughters. My oldest is 14. That's crazy. Can you imagine the conversation at home that evening? Hey, Dad, guess what? You'll never believe what happened to me. Tell me, Mary, I can't wait. And then when she tells that story, you're like, you're right. I'll never believe that that happened to you. Can you imagine going to Joseph? Joe, honey, guess what? I gotta buy a new wedding dress. Why? Baby bump, what? I mean, this is crazy, crazy scenario. But how many of you know God gives us hope in crazy times? And when things are hard, God gives us hope. When things are troubling, God gives us hope. God is not waiting on everything to smooth out for you to inject hope into your life. Lost your job, he'll give you hope. Marriage falling apart, he'll give you hope. Daughter pregnant out of wedlock, God will give you hope. Jesus brings hope in hopeless times. Anybody watch the news for the last couple years? We need hope. It's the number one thing our people are starving for. Has anybody else noticed our world is angrier than I've ever seen it? Especially on Twitter. It is like a bonfire of fury all the time. Social media has become a toxic ground of hopelessness. Add to that pandemics and tornadoes and everything else. But how does Christ bring hope into hopeless times? I love this story. The implications, this young girl, 14 to 17, legally and contractually engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. They're in the house of David. And I think she's just minding her business and an angel appears. I mean, she's a Jewish girl, so she'd heard stories of Samuel having a visit from God, of, of you know, De, uh, Nathan the prophet hearing from God, of all these prophets having visit Moses, visiting with God. And all of a sudden, she's in her living room, and it's like, boom, an angel shows up. She's probably thinking, I'm going to make the Bible. This is great. <laughs> and she's minding her, her own business, and an angel shows up, and, and, and here's what the angel says. God notices you, God sees you, God favors you, and you're going to be pregnant. Now, she's probably thinking, yeah, that makes sense. I'm, getting, I'm about to get married. Come up with something new, angel. But he goes, no, 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 you're going to be pregnant now. And you're going to be pregnant not with Joseph's son, but with God's son. And you're going to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he will not only be the son of God, he will be mighty, and he's going to rule everything forever. Would anybody else slap themselves? pinch themselves, throw water on their face, or wonder, what did Joseph put in my drink? Well, the first thing I want you to understand is you can have hope in hopeless times because God favors you. Notice how the story starts. Greetings, O favored one. I love that the angel starts with favor. He says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And now look, we go, well, I'm not married. This is particular uh, scripture to Mary. But hang with me for a second. Look at this. The, the angel said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And she was troubled at this saying. She's probably like the most of us. She goes, well, I know my life. I know my secrets. I know that I'm not perfect. Why in the world would God visit me? I'm not a saint. That's a Catholic joke because Mary became a saint. Anyway, she's probably reading her own issues and saying, why would God come and have a visit with me? How many of you know God favors you not because of you but because of him? God loves you not because you're lovable, but in spite of your lovability. Amen, everybody. And so she was troubled at this saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So the angel doubled down. He says, don't be afraid, for you have found favor 
with God. Hope begins because God favors us. Now listen, here's why it's, it has to move beyond the story of Mary into the story of you. Because the scripture says God is not a respecter of persons. We just preached this a couple weeks ago in the Acts series. God's not a respecter of persons. If he'll ferry Mary, he'll ferry Stephanie, he'll ferry Tiffany, he'll ferry Bruce, he'll ferry David. He'll favor you because he's not a respecter of persons. And we live in a covenant under God where he loves you and he favors you and he sees you and he wants you to be favored by him and live with him. Listen, our hope has to be anchored on something real and believable. We don't just put our hope in things that are fleeting. Because tornadoes take them away, and job loss takes them away, and health takes them away. But man, when our hope is in God, and our hope is in the God who loves and sees and favors us, man, that's a different anchor. You remember as a, a little kid when you knew that your, your parent was watching, and you knew that they came to your event, and they came to your game, and they just sat there, and they're just proud of you, and they paid attention. There's something about knowing they may not be doing anything for you, but their presence and their love and their affirmation for you is enough. That's how God treats you all the time. I want you to understand something, church. God's never mad at you. God's never mad at you, and he's never angry with you. He's never, he put all of his anger on Jesus later, by the way, and he sees you with such favor. The Bible says that you are the apple of his eye. You are the center of his affection. He only wants and only does good for you. You have to believe that. Listen, bad things happen in a broken world, but only good things happen because of our good God. Even the brokenness of our world, God says, I will take what's broken and use it for your good. The God of the universe favored her and the God of the universe favors you. Why? Who was she? What was special about her? We'll never have answers to that question. What we do know is that in spite of her, God favored her, and that's the same that is true for you. You know how to have hope in a crazy world? Just remember, God loves me. I had a pastor friend that used to put on his seat, God's favorite. And I thought, man, that is really weird. Like, you know, if anybody sat in that seat, he said, no, 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 it's everybody can have that same label on their seat, but I'm just the only one that paid my own money to get that seat label. <laughs> I was like, well, that's weird. But it's true. Every one of us is God's favorite. You are favored by God. Listen to me, church. You may not realize this, but the very fact that you're sitting in the room listening to a preacher tell this statement is proof that God wanted you to hear this because God loves you. He sees you. He cares for you. He knows everything that's happening in your life. He knows the pain you're going through. He knows the joy you're walking through. He knows the highs and the lows, the good and the bad, the strong and the weak, everything about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And because he knows you, it shows that he favors you and he loves you. You have been found in God's favor. That should give you the beginning of hope. Everything may fall around you, but man... God sees you. God knows you. You can have hope in that. You are amazing in the eyes of God. Did you know the Bible says that God fashioned you in your mother's womb? He knew you intimately. I don't think we remember how good our God is. I don't think we remember how good he is, especially when all we do is see how bad our world is. And unfortunately, we've blamed God for the brokenness of our sinful world. Please be reminded that all things work together for good for you because God loves you. So, so first of all, we have a hope because we have a good God who favors us, right? Second is we have hope when times are crazy, when times are hard. Has anyone been through hard times lately? Well, how do we land in hope? How do we stay in hope there? Watch this in verse 31. So, so the angel says to her, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you'll call his name Jesus, or Emmanuel, God with us. And he will be great 
He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. This is messianic promise. Hundreds of years of promises about the Messiah. And she's going, oh my goodness, you're using me for this story. He will be, God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob, which is the, the, the nation of Israel. He'll reign over that forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now you got to understand, listen, this is a crazy story for her. She's probably thinking, I am not the right person to bring this baby into the world. And so Mary says, how will this be? I'm a virgin. And he says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, I just want to pause for a second and say this. There is a, there is a um, like manipulated, there's a really tragic interpretation of this story among atheists and agnostics and honestly people who are deceived um, about this story that have likened this story to some type of cosmic rape or molestation. And I just think that is so perverted and twisted that we get away from the beauty of what God the creator does within his creation. Listen to me. This is a miraculous conception. And the God who created everything has the right to, to lead and guide and hover over creation any way that he sees fit. And if he chooses to do a miracle in your life and not your neighbor's life, that's on God's providence. But it's certainly not abusive or disgusting the way some have manipulated. Man, it's just like the devil to manipulate one of the most beautiful moments of God's history with humanity and make it some kind of negative thing. So I just want to reject that in Jesus' name and take back the authority of God's word and say this is a beautiful, miraculous thing, an immaculate conception, and it wasn't abusive. It was amazing. It's a bizarre scenario, however. It's unusual. It's never happened before or since. I mean, who would believe it? How do you go home to your parents and tell your husband, your fiance? But think of what Mary had at stake. I mean, these are hard times for her. It's not like she was asked by God, hey, how would you feel? We did a whole national search of young women who, you know, are willing. He just tells her, you're favored, you're going to do this. And think of what she had at stake. I preached a series, uh, a sermon on this years ago. What if Mary just freaked out and said, no? What if she was like, no, you cannot have my womb, you cannot have me? No, I reject you. Thankfully, she didn't. But think of what she had at stake here. The situation for Mary was incredibly costly. If you don't know this, look, it would have cost her her reputation. It would have definitely cost her her engagement and almost did. Joseph actually wanted to divorce her because of this. Don't forget the shame of being an unwed, pregnant teenager, which is still stigmatized in this culture today. And in that culture, it was taboo and would get you stoned to death as a fornicator, an adulterer, or a harlot. There was so much at risk for her to say yes to this move of God in her life and to find hope in this. But in this moment, we don't see Mary freaking out. We don't see her losing hope or giving up her hope in God or dismissing her faith. That's what happens to some of us. We think things are really hard, things are really bad. How could God do this to me? So we reject God. Or we go through these things and we get bitter at God and we get angry at God. Instead, she leaned in, as hard as this is, God, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna put my hope in you. We don't see her dismiss her faith. We don't see her walk away. In the hardest of times, she found hope. She found hope in the God that's going to walk with her. She had an amazing assurance that God was going to be with her. In fact, the angel said, fear not, for we're with you. Now watch. I don't know about you, but when crazy stuff happens to me, I tend to struggle with my hope in God. 
Anybody else can be honest about that? Let me give you an immediate example. <clears throat> Last week, tornadoes blow through and kill 100 people, destroy thousands of homes. And, and you know how tornadoes are. They're so precise, right? Their devastation in their path. Like, like we went to one uh, city in Bowling Green, and on one side of the street, houses are normal. Christmas decorations out. On the other side of the same street, gone. Slabs are remaining. So I'm in a group chat last week of pastors in Clarksville. And on Monday or Sunday, they're going, praise God. Those storms didn't come by here. We're so thankful that God spared our city. Man, we got pastors that are really praying over our town. And then I got another group thread of pastors from Kentucky who are begging God for people to show up and to bring resources, and they're finding bodies. Two of my pastor friends were pulling bodies out of the candle factory that collapsed. And they're not saying, like, they're not saying the same things at all. This group's going, look how good God's been to us. They're going, where the heck is God? I, I struggle with that. Anybody else struggle besides a pastor? I mean, I just struggle with that, right? Because I go, wait a minute, that just doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem reasonable. Why, why do my kids get to grow up healthy and my friend's kids have to grow up with a disability? Why, why does my marriage do this way and, and that marriage goes that way? Why do they get this promotion and they don't get this promotion? Sometimes the lack of equity and fairness in our world makes me struggle with hope. I do want to remind you, let me speak to that for a second. We live in a fallen world, but we don't serve a fallen God. And as broken as our world is, listen, the unfairness of the world is part of the reality of our broken, fallen world. Like, like these tornadoes hitting one side of the street, not the other. It's not because God likes this side of the street more than that side of the street. Are you kidding me? That's crazy. That's like, that's not the religion that we ascribe to. There would be plenty of religions that want to make God responsible for that. That's just not Christianity. But we live in a fallen and broken world. That's why racism and classism exist. It's not about God's equity and fairness towards one people group or another. It's because our world is fallen, but our God is not. So my struggle is, like, 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 if all I do is look at the realities of the world, I lose hope. But then when I look back to the reality of how good our God is and how great he actually is, when marriages are falling apart and kids are given cancer diagnosis and you find someone dead in their sleep, I mean, when it's just pain, 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 Watch this, Mary's in a chaotic time of perceivable pain. She could be stoned to death by accepting this. But she leans into God. She places her hope in God and she hears from the Lord, you're favored, I'm with you. This is something God is doing. Can I remind you that God has favored you, he's with you, and God is doing something with you. Some of us have experienced the struggle to find hope in hard times. We've had marital problems, health reports go bad. Money's been tight. Our culture is totally messed up. And for many of you, you found a difficulty to find hope in the hard times of battle. As soldiers, you will appreciate this story. It was Christmas Eve, 1914. And we're five months into the First World War. German and British troops are faced off in trenches fighting old school warfare. And it goes dark on Christmas Eve. And they stop shooting, stop the mortars. And after a little bit of time, the British soldiers are in their trench, in their foxholes in their trenches, and they begin to hear the German soldiers singing Christmas carols to one another. And by the way, how amazing would it be to hear Germans sing Silent Night in German, the original language it was written in, on a battlefield, on a silent night of battle. So they begin hearing these German soldiers singing, Stille Nacht, Stille Nacht. I don't know the rest of the German words. 
<laughs> Y'all thought he was going for it, huh? <laughs> so they start singing, and then the British soldiers start singing back in English. Silent night. You know, the British. <laughs> they start singing back, and all of a sudden, all, <laughs> all is calm. Isn't it, governor? All is bright. Yeah. All right, anyway, stay focused. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. So they're singing. Hey, get back to the story. It's somber. It's calm. Shush. So, so they're singing, and here's what happens. As the night progresses, they begin to sing loudly to one another. And at, Chris, at dawn on Christmas morning, they come out of their trenches, anxiously, obviously, but with no weapons. They begin to walk into no man's land towards each other, and they start wishing each other Merry Christmas. They start shaking hands and hugging each other. They actually exchange presents Battlefield presents, cigarettes, <laughs> and pudding, you know. And they sang Christmas carols together in the field where bullets were firing. And then they began playing soccer with each other. It's the truce, the Christmas truce. It's documented. You can go Google it. German and British officers realized how wonderful and yet how strange this was for their men to engage in this behavior. In the middle of one of the most chaotic battle scenes, they found hope. They found a peace. And what was it anchored in? The coming of Christ, the silent night. Although it was a short-lived ceasefire, it's a picture of hope built on something other than the immediate circumstances they were facing. And that may be the case for you right now. Today is an immediate ceasefire in the world you're living in. Your life is falling apart. Family's in chaos and turmoil. Job things are unsure. You're living through the, t the chaos of no house because of a tornado. But that battlefield morning is a beautiful picture of how God can interrupt something terrible with something wonderful. See, I believe God orchestrated that for them. That is what happened when God interrupted our world and came to this world as a baby. He entered into one of the most chaotic places in the universe at one of the most chaotic times in our history. The coming of Jesus into our world is the great interruption. In hard times, we have hope because we know that Jesus is still interrupting our chaos. Listen to me. You might feel alone in your hopelessness, but you're not because you're favored, because God sees you and he loves you. He is still Emmanuel, God, with us to the glory of God. Can I hear an amen, somebody? Amen. Third, we got to understand that our hope is built on the fact that we not only serve a present God, but he's a powerful God. Now, remember what Mary asked the angel. How's this going to be? I'm a virgin. He says, you're going to be pregnant with a son. He's going to be the most high God, son of the most high God. He's going to be the son of God. He's going to rule forever. His kingdom will never end. And she goes, yeah, yeah, that's a cool story, but I'm a virgin. And he says, first, how it's going to happen. Well, I understand that you're not married and you're a virgin. And he says, and the Holy Spirit's going to be a part of this. The spirit of God, and you got to understand the big picture of this. The same spirit that hovered over Mary is the spirit that baptized and anointed Jesus for ministry is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. By the way, we'll get here in a minute. It's the same spirit that lives in you. Hey, wait, that, we're going to get to that in a second. This is great. But he says how it's going to happen. Then he says who it's going to happen from. Watch this. So he goes, the spirit's going to hover over you. This is who your son's going to be. And then he goes, and oh, yeah, remember, um, remember Elizabeth, your cousin, who's old? And pregnant? Now, it's not that old people can't get pregnant. It's just unusual. My brother and his wife got pregnant with their third kid at 43. And, of course, we're asking all the typical questions like, you know how this happens, right? You know, like we did all of that to him. 
a friend of ours on the team, Dream Team, this morning, they just found out they're pregnant with their fifth kid. Isn't that awesome? All of you are like, that's amazing. They're like, we gave away our stroller. You know, they're like, we, we were done. Five kids is different vehicles. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's when you're going to 12-passenger vans. You got to, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Four is enough. You do as many as God wants you to have. But listen, she, he goes, remember Elizabeth, old age, conceived? She's six months pregnant, and she's the one you guys called barren. That's really important. That means she never had kids. She was never able to have kids. She was barren forever. We don't have Elizabeth and her husband having any other kids. There's no older brothers. By the way, this baby would become John the Baptist. He goes, remember your cousin Elizabeth, who y'all just found out she's pregnant six months ago? Mary's going, oh, yeah, ding, 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 I remember that. My cousin Elizabeth, going have a, we did a baby shower. And look what he says. Look what the angel says. For nothing will be impossible with God. Have we forgotten that? Have we forgotten that, church, that nothing is impossible with God? The God of creation is bigger than his creation. He's greater than what's happening in your world. Have we forgotten that the God of creation is the God who can fix your family? He can heal your divorce. He can heal your body. He can do some things in your life because nothing is impossible with our God. I love the honesty of Mary. She's like, how is this going to happen? Like, she's just being scientific. I don't know if you know this, but modern science and ancient science, there's only one way to have a baby. And she hadn't had that way yet. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? Do we need a class on that too? She goes, how can I get pregnant? It doesn't make sense. And, she, and the angel's like, it doesn't have to make sense for you to put your hope in it. Because when God's involved, when God's involved, nothing is impossible for him. Please don't say no for God, and please don't put your limits on God, because nothing is impossible for God. We have lost sight of that. We've made everything so scientific and provable. The, the great enlightenment and the postmodern era where we're trying to prove everything, you will never, ever get your grip on the impossibilities of God. Never. So don't forget that it may seem impossible with men, but with God, all things are possible. It may not make sense how your family's gonna come back. It may not make sense how this world's gonna turn back around, but hope isn't logical. Hope is a confidence in God. Hope is remembering that we live for a big God. He is creator. He's greater than our greatest problems. He's bigger than our cultural problems. He's bigger than our political issues. He's greater than our global pandemics. And listen to me. This is a great hope statement. Even if we leave this life, he's promised us eternal life. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. We have a hope that is way beyond this world. Because we serve a God who has no, no limit on what's impossible for him. Can somebody say, praise God? Praise Just say it like you mean it. Say, praise God. Praise say it old school. Say, praise God. And we just need to say that some more. Praise God. Man, there's nothing impossible with our God. Whew. So Mary, once she hears that, she's like, yeah, of course. Man, he impressed. I mean, my barren cousin got pregnant. And that's with her husband. The Holy Spirit's going to give me God's son? Nothing's impossible. So then we see in Mary, hope is a way of life. Hope in God, confidence in God, it's a way of life for her. Watch this. I mean, I love this part. I told you we were going to get there in a minute, but watch this. Mary responds simply and courageously. She doesn't freak out. She doesn't go, no, 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 not me. I'm not good enough. I don't have it all figured out. This doesn't make sense. She asked some appropriate questions. She listened. And then she says this. You know what? Behold, 
Remember I said we should talk this way? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Church, can we just get back to this? God, I'm your servant. Let me live my life according to the word of God. Lord, I'm your servant. It may not make sense. It may not, it may not build my confidence right now. But God, I'm yours. I'm your servant. Let me live according to your word. Not according to my feelings. Not according to my politics. Not according to my fears. Let me not live according to my anxieties or what my mom and them are saying or what my cousin and them say. Let me not live according to what culture's doing. Let me live my life according to your word. That's where our hope comes from. It's time with God. Growing in relationship to the Lord. God, I'm your servant. You want me to carry a baby that's not mine and not my husband's? God, you want me to carry the, 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 the son of the most high God in my womb? Whatever, God, I'm your servant. Lord, you want me to give money away? You want me to go serve people? You want me to do for others? God, I'm your servant. Let me live my life according to your word. Can I ask us, church, to come back to this place? You know what's amazing? I love this. Talk about full dependence and confidence in God. Talk about real reliance and trust in God's plan to work. Talk about real hope. For this Jewish girl, she'd been waiting on Messiah to come, and now she gets to be the one to bring Messiah into the world physically. Now she's being told God has favored you, he's going to give you a pregnancy, and you will carry this baby to be the Messiah the whole world is waiting on. But listen, she got to carry Jesus into the world, and you and I get to carry the Spirit of God into the world. We are now distributors of the same hope that Mary had. Remember who started the whole thing. God says, you found favor, and the Holy Spirit's going to oversee this whole thing. Well, listen what Jesus said in John 14. Remember? He goes, now I'm going to have my assignment, and I'm going to go back to the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit will come and dwell in you and dwell among you, and he'll live with you and empower you, Acts 1. He'll equip you to do the work of ministry and to bring hope to this world. Mary only brought baby Jesus into the world. But we get to bring the spirit of God and to bring hope to this is our way of life. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Man, I love that Mary anchors into this hope. Because honestly, it's crazy what she had to believe that day. I'm going to get pregnant without marriage or sex. And this baby's going to be God's son, son of the most high God. And he's going to rule the world and his kingdom will never end. She had to be confident in that. Let it be, Lord, according to your word. Now watch. You know why? Because she'd have to raise that boy. It wasn't just birth him. It's then raise him and parent him and discipline him. Jesus, go to bed. I mean, I don't know if... <laughs> I'm glad he was the firstborn, not the lastborn. You know what I'm saying? If Jesus was the lastborn, like any of y'all other lastborns, you'd be like, what'd you say, mama? You know, firstborns always obey their parents good. But it's that statement, let it be according to your word, that she had to remember when she watched him crucified. When she watched her firstborn son hang on a cross, naked and destroyed for the sins of the world that he never committed one time. She had to remember, you gave this son to me so that I can give him to the world. So that salvation can come to the world. And church, look at me, everybody look at me. Because God has favored you, you get to carry the word of God and the spirit of God to this world too. And it's statements like this that remind us, man, we are part of a greater story and a greater plan of what God is doing in the earth. And I'm here to tell you today, man, if we would have the attitude of Mary, I am your servant, let it be so according to your word. Whatever you say, Lord, I'm in. 
man, we will become distributors of hope. You know, our world is hopeless. You know what they need? Us. They need the hope that we have. If all you're doing is hanging on to your salvation so that you can go to heaven one day, and you're not sharing that with anybody else, then don't be upset when our world falls apart in front of you. But we are the hope of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. We're the light of the world. Shine as bright for the gospel as possible. Mary would later be filled by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and begin to preach and prophesy about the son that she birthed into the world. Will you do the same thing and bring hope to this world? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, would we anchor our hope in this great story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, would we settle our hope that, Lord, you are doing a great work in the world through Jesus, through the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that every person listening to this message would not only receive the hope of the gospel, but God, that we would distribute this hope to everybody that we come into contact with. God, because you favor all people. You love all people. You desire that every person come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that we would receive your hope and also, God, that we would distribute your hope like Mary did to the whole world. Help us, Lord God, in Jesus' name. In hopeless times, may we anchor into the word of God, to the person of Jesus Christ. Hey, every head's bowed. Nobody's moving around. And if you're online and you could just simply put a hand up emoji, but if you say, Pastor, I need to give my life to this Jesus. I wanna go all in. I wanna find eternal hope through eternal life and restoration and, and, and finding hope in Jesus Christ. If that's you and you say, I wanna give my life to Christ today. Come on, we've had people in every service. If that's you, I see a hand already. Come on, raise your hand. Say, I'm going all in with Jesus. I wanna give my life to God today. I believe in Christ that he died for me and raised from the dead so that I can have eternal life. If that's you, come on, raise your hand. Anybody else? Praise the Lord online. Now, if you say, Pastor, I'm ready to live in hope for the things that are eternal, not just the things that are temporary, and I want to distribute that hope, and I want to share the hope of the world by sharing Christ to others. If that's you and you would say, Pastor, I want to be in on that too, would you just lift your hand so I know I'm praying with somebody? Yes, Lord Jesus, come on. Everybody pray this with me and mean it from the bottom of your heart. Come on, joining online, would you just open your hands to God? Come on, everybody, open your hands to the Lord. Say, God, I'm all in. Say, I believe in Jesus Christ that he came into this world, lived a sinless life, died in my place, resurrected from the dead so that I can have eternal life. I believe in Jesus. My hope is secure because God lives, Jesus reigns, and the spirit is inside of me. Say, I'm all in, I'm all yours. Now pray this, say, God, here's my life. I will live according to your word, according to your plan for my life, to share hope with this hopeless world in Jesus' name. Come on, if you mean it, would you say amen and give praise to the Lord.